Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about I am your host, Letitia Wong, and we have got a magnificent show, short but magnificent today. We're going to talk about some really serious issues, um, give you answers to questions that you probably are talking about. That's the nature of True Life Fridays Radio. I am on the air with a good, good friend and co-host of mine. Take it away, Thomas. Hey, Letitia, and I think Melissa's here, too. I, I am. Melissa. Oh, hey! Yeah. <laughs> Here on this late start on the East Coast. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, you know what? We're going to do this thing, and it's going to be good. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, you know how we roll. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. First and foremost, Lord God, I want to thank you in the name of Jesus for 
allowing me to see four decades of life when the enemy was bound and determined that I would never see one day of life. Amen. Father, I thank you for living to see the age of 40, and I thank you for another 60, another 80, another 90 more years, however long you keep me here to proclaim being unified with two awesome women of God and As we go back to the issue that originally caused us to want to start this show, we pray that anyone who is listening, whether it's live or in archives, may be touched and impacted. And if there are any post-abortive moms out there who might be listening, that they will know that there is healing in Jesus Christ. Lord, we say we love you and we bless you and we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Thomas. And we do have um, a very interesting question that we haven't dealt with at length, uh, but it is time to. And that's the question that... I think has been stuck sticking in many people who are in the pro-life community in the back of their minds. Like, how do I deal with this? Actually, there's a lot of questions that are like that, but this one in particular is centers around the woman who has had an abortion who doesn't feel bad about that because we talk a lot about women and we like to share their stories. Women who have had abortions who regret profoundly regret their abortions. And why do we do that? Because they deserve to be heard, for one. The media has a virtual shutout of their voice because you're not allowed to say that you wish you didn't have an abortion. But then there's the other side, which, of course, likes to be uh, promoted and propagandized up to the hilt, which is the woman who doesn't feel regret for her abortion. And so the Huffington Post has tried to make this particular video go viral, and it is getting some notoriety. And it is this, this, I believe, it's a Scottish woman, because I think her accent is Scottish, and she has written a poem and put it on video, recorded it on video, and it is her reflections on her abortion and the of course HuffPo wants to play this up and promote it and so it has been uh played a lot here here it is we will talk about what this woman says inside her poem on the other side of listening to it i think she was a she no i know she was a she and i think she would have looked exactly like me Full cheeks, hazel eyes, and thick brown hair that I could have plastered into dreams at night. I would have stuck up glow-up stars in her ceiling and told her that they were fireflies to protect her from the dark. I would have told her stories about her grandfather. We could have fed the swans at Victoria Park. She would have been like you too. Long limbs with a sarcastic smile and the newest pair of kicks. She would have been tough. Tougher than I ever was and I would have taught her all that my mother taught me. And I would have taken her to the museums and there we would see the bone dinosaurs. And she could look to them and wonder about all the things that came before she was born. She could 
have been born. And I would have made sure that there was space in the wall to measure her height as she grew. I would have made sure that I was a good mother to look up to. But I would have supported her right to choose, to choose a life for herself, a path for herself. I would have died for that right like she died for mine. I'm sorry, but you came at the wrong time. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I'm so sick of keeping these words contained. I am not ashamed. I was a teenage girl with a boy she loved between her thighs that felt very far away. Duvet days and dolls don't do family planning well. I am one in three. I am one and three, I am one and three. I had to carve down that little cherry tree that had rooted itself in my blood and blossomed in my brain. A responsibility I didn't have the age or energy to maintain. The branches casting shadows over the rest of my garden. The bark causing my thoughts, my heart to harden. I am not ashamed. It's a hollowness that feels full, a numbness that feels heavy. Stop trying to fit how this feels on an NHS bereavement brochure already. I am allowed to feel it all. I am allowed to feel I am woman now. I am made of steel as she wasn't a girl. And she wasn't a boy. That's just the bullshit you received to keep you out of parliament and stuck on maternity leave. Don't you mutter murder on me. 70,000 per year, 70,000 per year, 70,000 year dead, that's 192 per day from coat hangers, painkillers, the back alleyway way, don't you mother murder on me. Worldwide performing abortion like homework, looking for the answers in the grooves of our palms, the bulges in our bellies, the whispers in our ears, only to be confronted with question marks. Women have been hidden away in the history books. After all, it's history, his story. Well, this is her story, our story. God damn it, this is my story, and it will not be written in pencil and erased with guilt. It will be written in pen and spoken with courage. You will hear it on the radio on your way to work. You will study it in English. You will read it on the coffee shop bulletin boards next to the flyer about yoga for babies because I am not ashamed. I'm so sick of keeping these words contained. I am woman now. I will not be tamed. I have a determination that this termination will still have a form of creation. It will not be wasted because this is my body. This is my body. This is my body. And I don't care about your ignorant views. When I become a mother, it will be when I choose. All right. So we... Can I comment first? Please okay. let me say something. All right. Go ahead. First of all, if she really didn't have, she, I, I'm going I'm to I'm share with you and Melissa and the listeners the psychology of what she did there. Actually, she feels a whole lot of regret because if she was truly confident in what she did, she wouldn't have felt the need to say anything about her viewpoint. When you're confident in a decision that you made in something that you did, you don't feel the need to justify yourself because you can walk with confidence in your head held high. Therefore, the question that I want to ask, who is she trying to convince? Herself? Because she's not going to convince pro-lifers, and she's preaching to the choir of those who support her. She ain't going to convince us. So who is she trying to convince? That's my that's question. A very, that's a very good question. Um, you notice that she keeps, there's, there's one phrase that she says repeatedly, I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed. And 
pretty much falls into that category. Dashi doth protest too much, and yeah, I think that's. I think you've hit on it. That you know, why write a poem? I mean, I, I I get it. I get it. You know, these poets and artists like to talk about these things, but why talk about it in a justification way? A lot of artists don't interject um, their their defense of their choices. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they exactly. kind of leave it out there for people to decide. They have a point of view. They kind of skew it that way to to make a point. But they don't. They're they're not angry about trying to convince the listener to take their point of view. Um. So so this is, you know, what does it say about the Huffington Post to try to promote this video because it's not particularly clever. Uh, in right. Saying I'm not ashamed over and over again, and sorry you were not born at the right time, or you didn't come at the right time. I mean, everybody says that. Um, and then she she takes uh, what what some people have observed about this video is she uses the phrase "This is my body," mm-hmm. and I I don't know if that's a veiled reference or an overt reference or or even an intended reference. To to a communion service where Jesus is saying, "This is my body," and you, the, the, I mean, really, the comparison could not be more stark. If she intended it, I would say beautifully done in composing this diametrically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where she has put up her own daughter as a sacrifice for her sake, her sake her lifestyle choices, whereas Jesus Christ put his own body on the cross and died for the sake of human beings, not himself. Um, so I, so here's the question. Here's the question. We go back to the question and say, what do we say to the woman? How do we deal with a situation where a woman does not feel regret over her Abortion. She may even get on a video camera and write a poem and say it in front of people, in front of a camera for people. Write a poem about it, how much she doesn't regret it and how much she's not ashamed. What do we say? And before we get to to talking about what we do say, what what has been said by a lot of pro-life, well-intentioned pro-life people, counselors, is to say, you know, give it 15 years. And you may start to regret your abortion or, you know, one day you're going to or, you know, the baby felt pain. You know, things like that. It may be true one day. You know, this this woman looks like she's still fairly young. She may have had a an abortion many years ago. She references that to, to when she was a teenager uh, she obviously doesn't look like and sound like a teenager anymore, but so it's been a number of years. Uh, we don't bank on the fact that, that many women do feel regret over a long period of time. Um, we know that they do, but we don't expect that of everyone. And we can't say, oh, definitely you're going to feel regret over a 15, 20-year period of time. Uh, that may not happen. But here's the thing. It's not important whether it happens or not. Whether women exactly. 
eventually feel regret about their abortions and how they feel is not relevant to what has taken place, which is the abortion itself. So as pro-lifers, what we do is we try to affirm life. We don't simply talk about things on an emotional way, the way abortion is talked about by pro-choicers, by pro-abortionists. Right. The argument for abortion is all about emotion. It's all about right. uh, wanting to change one's life to make room for the new life that your choices have helped to create. <laughs> and it's right. all about finding the way out, trying to go backwards in time, trying to get rid of someone who's become inconvenient so that you can continue your life of convenience. That is all emotion-based uh, reasoning, which is not reasoning at all, but that's, those, are the, those are the answers you get. Those are the reasons people give for having abortions, for wanting it to be legal. And, you know, I'm not going that route. I'm not going that route. Melissa, did you, wanna, did you want to say anything about that before we go on? Well, yeah, I I, I agree that um, we we have facts and we have truth on our side. So absolutely, in regards to the emotional aspect um, that she's appealing to, it's easy uh, it, that that they employ to try to draw people into to their discussion. Um, I mean, I would regardless of if one felt guilt or not. You know, facts are facts. Life is life. So I think that, you know, reverting back to facts and truth is is what, what we have to do, you know, as opposed to th- those methods that they're using in, in, in this, this point. I, this is my first time hearing it, so I'm just, I'm in shock, <laughs> basically. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't believe it, so. But, yeah, yeah, I think we just have to... We we stand firm by our position, um, which which is the the truth, which is the right position, and um, and we don't appeal to those uh, the emotions of of um, or we just we don't cave to to the emotions of, mm-hmm. of these these decisions that these that that she made and and others are making. Right, I I find it a little shocking because somebody on my on my news feed for Facebook had posted a video of of a dog in a cage and some and it was in Arabic and the people who were speaking were speaking in Arabic so I have to assume um that there were they were Muslims and given the fact that there are is I'm not changing the subject by the way I'm coming I'm bringing this back around mm-hmm. and the Quran specifically states that dogs are unclean animals. What they did to this dog in a cage is they set it on fire. Mm. And they videotaped it. And you can hear them laughing as this poor dog is burning to death while it's alive. Mm. And you can and so here's what I here's what I am observing. Those people did not have any regret over what they they were doing at all. And but yet you come and you bring that stuff here to America, you're going to get a lot of people so angry with you and call you names and and charge you with uh, animal abuse 
and very well judge you for your actions if if that's what, if that happens and rightly so because that is inhumane that's an inhumane thing to do to an animal and here in America we place a certain value even on dogs and we understand that that's no way to treat animals mm-hmm. but yet we have a human being in the womb that passes uh, from life to death in the most most horrific fashion. I mean, would it make a difference if we had to commit abortions uh, by burning unborn children to death? I like the phrase Mm. that Abort abort 73 likes to put on T-shirts and say, would it matter if we used a gun? Right. So we have abortion practices that are brutal and gruesome. Mm-hmm. But because they happen in a contained area where no one can see, we do not have the public outrage that we would have to a dog being burned alive in a cage. Mm-hmm. So my point to bring this parallel is we do have a moral sense about these things. It would still be wrong whether any someone was laughing or showing horrified disgust, it would still be wrong to burn a dog to death, mm-hmm. a burn, burn a live dog to death, set dog on fire. It would still be wrong. Absolutely. And so it is still a murder of an innocent human being, whether a woman feels regret for having an abortion or not. How anyone feels about abortion is not relevant to whether it is murder or not. It is the taking of human life. If pro-abortionists laugh their way in and out of the abortion facilities, doesn't change a thing. It is still abortion. There was a video, it was taken probably last year or the year before, um, abolished human abortion for all the, all the disagreements we have about their rhetoric and their methods. They have a camera on most of their uh, sidewalk people, and for mm-hmm. good reason, and they capture a lot of good stuff that way. And one of the, one of the sidewalk encounters they had was with a woman who said she became a millionaire because she had an abortion. So presumably, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm assuming that she, what she meant by that was that when she had an abortion when she was young, a young girl, that allowed her to go to school, make money, have a career, and end up having a million-dollar bank account. Wow. And, and <laughs> guess, I guess and what she was trying to say with that is that her life seemed to have benefited monetarily from having an abortion. She draws a direct correlation between having an abortion and being a millionaire today. The question hmm. that that I think it was Russell Hunter that asked her in return was really good. It's a mm-hmm. very good question. He asked her, so you you made a human sacrifice 
in order from to to get money. You traded in the human life of your unborn child mm-hmm. for money. Mm. Right, right. I mean that that that's what she's saying. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean that's what it, it boils down to. And I'm I'm glad he he um, pointed that out. Um, that's the reality of it. Um, yeah, it's, right. And you're and she's proud. I mean she's she's boasting in that, you know. And right. That's just it's just a new it. Motherhood, womanhood. I don't understand this obsession and and uh, within our our circles, uh, within the feminist circles, of uh, their whole just there's this anger um, and um, towards anything that would uh, potentially uh, keep them from getting where they want in life. They feel that it is it's um, justifiable to destroy it and to destroy, I mean, innocent life and it's. Right. I, this is this me, this me first, dog eat dog, uh, persona, and the feminist movement, and not, it's just not where it's not, it's not rooted in the historical women's suffrage movement at all. No, it's not. And and lo- might I? I'm going to make an aside that I had said last week, and I'll bring it up again. Might I remind people that who, who voted, the Nineteenth Amendment, into law. Mm. All white men. There was not mm. a single woman that voted it into law. So I think we should at least be uh, historically aware enough to thank those men for voting the way they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. let's not forget they that. Never do that. Yeah. Right. Let's not forget. Who who voted it into who voted the nineteenth amendment? Who passed the nineteenth amendment? Who, not a single or, woman passed the nineteenth amendment. They were all mm-hmm. men. Let's, and what let's about not take in, that in the away Supreme from them. Court? Yeah, Supreme right. Court, nineteen seventy three. <laughs> you know, Harry Blackburn and his and his his party there, you know, they they right. they actually have to credit men with, with abortion because the men still technically gave them the their rights to exercise their autonomy. <laughs> And their, right. their rights that they claim that they have an abortion. Right, right, yeah. I mean that that comes down on both sides. Do do feminists have a right to complain? Uh, given what given what we've done over the centuries, I mean the the decades, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but getting back to what I was saying about um, having our, our you know the way we feel about abortion, not being relevant to the morality of abortion and the rightness and whether it ought to be legal or not, um, what what we're trying, what we see is a huge contradiction in practice. You look at, by far, the people that are opposed to war. So we're, we're, we're almost kind of like going to war again in Syria and Iraq. Uh, you know, it's not equal to an Iraq war, but we're, we're going to war. Um those that are most opposed to those the military actions also tend to be those that are pro-abortion. And the the contradiction that I see is that you have, on the one hand, a, a regard for life, and then you have a total disregard for life in abortion. You They claim to have 
the 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 desire for peace and for harmony and for life and not killing and not no dead children in at the hands of our military, but they're willing to shed blood of their own children at an abortion facility. Mm-hmm. That's a huge contradiction in terms of ideas. They have no fundamental principle that can support both things. You can't be pro. You can't be against war. You can't be anti-war and pro-abortion. Because whatever happens in an abortion clinic is, all things being equal, just as bad as what happens out on the battlefield. Especially the kind of wars that we're fighting today. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's no comparison. Show me. Show me that it's different. And just use different language to describe what goes on in an abortion clinic versus what goes on in a battlefield doesn't change what both of those things are. If pro-abortion supporters have a problem with war, they should have doubly the problem with abortion. I'm looking for a little consistency here in that language and in that position. And so far, I don't see it. Right, it's because because it's an it's an incoherent position. Um, right, it's it's just it, it doesn't follow logically. Um, if you are a pro-abortion, um, you are anti-human rights, and as a human being, how can you be in that position? I mean, it, it's just it's a um, it's the the whole the whole um, position is just it, it has no foundation and it's. It's just circular, circular reasoning. So that's why they can't right. apply that same ethic to any other issue. It just, it doesn't work. <laughs> that, right, you're right about that. And I'm going to see if I can pull up another audio. It'll take me a couple of minutes to um, find it and upload it because I think even, even our pro-abortion Secretary of State had <clears throat> talked about uh, these the code pink people in terms of war because they're protesting any more military action in Iraq and Syria. Um, and but he makes a very good point. Let me go dig that up. But at the same time, um, even the most liberal people we know on television are making this point about war, and we're, we're slowly transitioning to um, br- bridging this gap, saying you know what happens in. Um, in the pro-life, in the way we talk about pro-life, is underpinned by a unifying factor. But let me play this clip from Chris Matthews and see if I can bridge that gap for everybody on the air. I don't think any president can take two weeks, every two weeks another beheading, or whatever the sequence is going to be. And the president can talk, as Mike did well there, about how someday we'll get them, we'll encircle them, we'll put an alliance together against them, we'll coalition, we'll get them eventually. Eventually... That could be 60 beheadings from now. Well, right, and, and I think that that is part of the, the, the problem, the paradox that this administration finds itself in. You've got Joe Biden who's saying, we will follow them to the gates of hell. Well, some of us are asking, well, what does that mean? Does that mean boots on the ground? Does that mean uh, an upped a military engagement? Does it mean coalition forces? 
the definitional aspect of this, Chris, I think bothers people more than anything else. So whether you're war-weary or war-wary, what you want to know is what are you going to do given the crisis that's currently in front of the administration? It is boxed well, in the corner, and you and I have talked about this before, on its earlier uh, efforts to get out of Iraq, and now it finds itself having to circle back in through another, through another okay, door, if you will, and that's a problem, rhetorically and otherwise, for the president. Yeah. <clears throat> um, mm. So, I, so we've come to this headway where our, our the Obama administration has had to. Hmm. How do we say this? We has had to reengage in warlike strategy against some real threats. Mm. And this is coming from a a president that prided himself on saying that he was he promised to end the war in Iraq. He promised and he promised and we have a clip that says him promising and delivering about a dozen times before he was caught saying, you know, oh, you know, it was not really was my idea. Well, yeah, okay. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 so but why? But why? The question the question is why? And here's, you know, here's the tough question for people who are pro-life that the left wants to ask us. So, you know, we're, we're trying to answer this other d- tough question about what if there is a woman who doesn't regret her abortion? And we're transitioning to another qu- tough question is, you know, if you are pro-life, how come you're also um, trying most, – most pro-lifers are approving of some kind of military action, indeed most of America right now says let's use our military to fight ISIS Mm -hmm. and the question is why is there an underlying principle and I believe there is and Mm -hmm. the underlying principle is that we have a, a terror threat of Islamic jihadists whose primary goal is to kill anyone who is not, it's their discretion, at their discretion, kill anyone who is not a Muslim. They kill many more Muslims for disagreeing with them, too. But if you find yourself not a Muslim, your life is already forfeit. Mm -hmm. And we've seen so many beheadings, and not just the ones that are, that have been in the news of American journalists and British uh, aid workers. I mean, those have gotten the most attention in the media. But what I'm talking about, the the hundreds of Christians that were beheaded and killed and, and murdered. As in they mentioned. Before this all happened. What? What's mm-hmm. that? Hasn't been mentioned. It hasn't been mentioned. And hasn't been mentioned, and your president likes to say that more um, ISIS is killing more Muslims than anybody. That's a lie. Yes, folks, I just called the president a liar. So. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that are not that are not quite square. I mean, I mean, if this this were a political show, you could go for an hour to analyzing um, how our president has. And his administration has conducted this, uh, the PR portion of this war so far, or this, <clears throat> excuse me, not a war so far. Mm-hmm. And 
um, as I'm trying to find this clip, even even our liberal, ultra-liberal administration is saying this about it. And I hope I can find it, but in case I can't, let's just keep talking about... Um, so, so this is a question for Christians, or Christians uh, who are pro-life. How do you justify a position against war? Here's the thing. If, Christian, if Christians or non-Christians, everybody is being killed, and they've declared war, ISIS has declared war, in such a manner that they are murdering people by the town mm-hmm. and taking over countries and forcing their Sharia law on others, that is a force. That is a murdering force that needs to be stopped. And if force is necessary, military force is necessary, and I believe it is necessary to keep that from happening, Mm -hmm. it is a moral prerogative for countries and for Christians to use that force. It is not... It is not... Well, hold on. It is not a desire for violence. It is not an option to be violent. It is an option. It is the choice to stop the threat where it is with whatever means necessary to stop that threat. That is just war theory, which has existed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in Christian ethics. So it's not like anybody's coming up with this right now. Okay, Thomas, mm-hmm. what you have for us? You know... You have to put two and two together. The president isn't really interested in stopping ISIS because we're the ones who armed ISIS in Syria and in Benghazi. The rebels who we gave arms to are who became ISIS. That's why the president, when the president made the comment, managing to contain He meant exactly what he said. That wasn't supposed to come out of his mouth, but it was a slip of the tongue. Could be. Could be. But even even liberals are forced to admit the nature of ISIS. Um, And I found the clip. Here's John I respect the right of Code Pink to protest and to use that right. But you know what? I also know something about Code Pink. Code Pink was started by a woman and women who were opposed to war, but who also thought that the government's job was to take care of people and to give them health care and education and good jobs. And if that's what you believe in, and I believe it is, then you ought to care about fighting ISIL. Because ISIL is killing and raping and mutilating women. And they believe women shouldn't have an education. They sell off girls to be sex slaves to jihadists. And that's precisely why we are building a coalition to try to stop them from denying the women and the girls and the people of Iraq the very future that they yearn for. I think that was a moment of clarity that I haven't heard from our administration but once or twice in the last Mm -hmm. six years. Uh, And... Yeah, he's calling Code Pink 
to be a, be consistent, to stop mm-hmm. being incoherent about their their war position, um, and realize that if we don't help others that are in need, say in Iraq and in Syria, from the atrocities that they're suffering, that is a huge betrayal of your principle of to, to desire peace and security, and if you want bigger government to take care of people. You can't do that if people are dead. You can't do that if you're the opposing force out there wants to take that type of take the peace away in the world. I mean, just broad brushing to speak. You know, of course, mm-hmm. even the Pax Romana was a certain type of peace, and there will be a certain type of peace if Sharia comes to the Western world and is dominant. Basically, you know, there will be peace if you play along. Uh, so even even John Kerry can see the threat that is out there that comes to America. I mean, just last week we we just learned. I mean, just this week we just learned about four terrorists that were caught trying to enter the United States through our southern border on September 10th, the day before 9/11. You didn't hear about it until today or yesterday, but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Is you know the media has been a buzz. Is ISIL already here? Is ISIS already here in the United States? You bet they are. They, you bet they, they don't even have to call themselves ISIS. Al Qaeda, right. Al Qaeda cells have been working and training in the United States for many years now. Let's not mm-hmm. kid ourselves. With the border situation being what it is with open immigration that we have uh, practicing open immigration, you have got to have your head in the sand if you don't think that terrorists haven't been able to take advantage of that and come to our country to try to um, plan terror attacks here in the United States and our homeland. Mm. So, So what I'm saying about the consistency that people who are opposed to war should have toward abortion, I'm just trying to say, hey, let's. you don't have a founding principle to support your anti-war position if you are also pro-choice, pro-abortion, and vice versa. And conversely, for me as a pro-life person, there is a time where war is justified, where use of military force is justified in order to preserve the lives of those that are being killed by 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 terrorists mm-hmm. or those in right. aggression why because i want to preserve and i want to save lives that are just important just as important outside the womb as they are inside the womb right, right. yeah it's um it, yeah it's for, it's still for in the name of protecting life protecting innocent people and i don't understand why um, those who claim that you can't uh, be pro-just war and pro-life? Why, why, why do they think that 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 is that those two issues are at, at odds? Um, because they're still, ignorant and uninformed. Well, yeah, it's just it's just I think it's just because they're trying to apply some broad ethic to 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 this topic and it doesn't it's again it's incoherent and <laughs> it's an mm-hmm, incoherent right. position over incoherent. and over and over um they don't think through the issues um and and what we're trying to do and what we stand for i don't i don't know if they even want to know i don't even know if they really care 
honestly. <laughs> well, I, I I have to call some personal experience with dialoguing with um, mm-hmm. some people who are are I would say more left than I am. Mm-hmm. And the te- there's a tendency, and I'm not just talking trash about people. I'm saying there is a tendency mm-hmm. for them to value certain things in a conversation that are completely different than what I value in a conversation. And mm-hmm. what, what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. In New York City, just earlier, I don't, maybe over the weekend, last, last weekend, there mm-hmm. was a parade, a Muslim Day parade in New York City in which um, – Muslims dressed in military fatigues, camouflage, etc., decided, I don't know how they did this, but I guess they got a permit to do this and everything, but they had a, had a parade. And the parade was not, look how beautiful our religion is, which I would have expected the politically correct thing to, for them to do. But I appreciate this, this, the fact that they're honest. The parade was all about one form of uh, imposing Sharia on the world. Now, they had an example, and they had some girls uh, sitting in the back of a truck. It looked like they were in a cage, and that was that was a truck driving down the street. They had another mm-hmm. one where they were um, hanging a, a dummy that was dressed like a woman uh, from... Uh, with a noose, they were hanging her, and then there were people that posed with fake guns. Mm. And the message was not that they were going to uh, exercise some extreme violence, but this was their attitude um, of toward the world, that this is normal for them to see, and it's normal for them to put on a parade float uh, and on the back of a truck, um, maybe they were protesting these things happening in another country, but then why dress in the military fatigues and, and do the same thing? I'm not entirely sure. But the bottom line is a lot of people were shocked at what they um, were going, they were putting out on public display. And this is a reality of Sharia law in most Islamic countries. It is a reality. It's a reality in Saudi Arabia. It's a reality in Egypt. It's a reality in Syria. It's a reality in in um, Lebanon, which they kind of Actually, put it down low. Letitia, it's, it's on the down low, but Letitia, what? Got got to correct you on one thing. In in Egypt, the the military took back over from the Muslim Brotherhood because it was the Muslim Brotherhood that had. Um, imposed the Sharia law, and yes. uh, uh, yeah, so in Egypt, Sharia law is not there because they rebelled against it. <laughs> yes, so. uh, on a yes on an official level, but it is still happening where the military cannot reach. I mean, it can't be everywhere oh. in Egypt. Okay, <laughs> I got you there. It's still be. I mean, Christians are still being persecuted by by an Islamic majority in some way, shape, or form, you know, with violence. But anyway, I mean, we know that. Um, right. It's happening in Iraq. It's happening in Iran. And you cannot tell me that any of these countries don't think there's anything, uh, think that there's anything wrong with it. Right. 
Exactly. There is nothing wrong with stoning women for being raped. There's nothing wrong with beheading people who uh, apostatize away from Islam. There's nothing wrong with cutting um, limbs off from people who are caught stealing. That is part and parcel of Sharia and Islamic culture. And so, getting back to my story, um, I had posted, posted this, and I decided, you know, the solution to this, the, the most liberal solution to all of these problems, if you don't want to see this, is, of course, in New York, if you, wanted, you don't want it to happen, you need to ban guns and ban rope. And therefore, all your problems will be solved. Mm. And, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> And and I have a very liberal friend who decided to say object to what I not to what I said, but probably to what he thinks I was posting the picture up with my comments for. And says, "What do you object to more? Uh, they're limiting their free exp- expression on the streets of New York City, or um, confiscating their guns? You know, they were they were fake guns, but um, and I said." Which of these things did I ever talk about? <laughs> Neither. And I don't dislike Muslims either, because he had thrown in a line, since you don't like Muslims. I'm like, where did I ever say that I didn't like Muslims? We're talking about a parade, which they were um, bandying around dummies that were being hanged with the noose and fake guns and having you know girls sit in the back of a truck that looks like a cage. Um. Find find me something to like about that. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, so my conversation with many liberals ends up being them talking about something that is really beside the point. And I really mm-hmm. had to call them out and saying, "There's the point that I was trying to make. I think you were completely misunderstood or didn't get at all, and didn't didn't recognize." And I think that goes that there's a, there are fundamental propositions that people on the left latch onto that are completely different from those that are on the those of us on the right are talking about mm-hmm. and we have to be careful that we don't do the same thing to those on the left and but i i see most of the conversations um it is it is a tendency for those on the left to miss a fundamental point and talk about something else completely <laughs> So when they when we have these kind of conversations, why don't they get this? Why don't they get that? Uh, all things being equal and being fair, I just don't think they see it. I don't think they see it. Yeah, why don't they get the? Why can't they be consistent across the board on all pro life issues? I don't think they see it. Mhm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, it's hard to. Uh, but, you know, that's why we do what we do, you know. We keep talking about this issue. We keep showing the inconsistencies, you know. We keep exposing abortion for what it really is. And so I think that that's, that's what, what we have to do. We have to continue to do. Right. Right. So, yeah. Right. Um, and, and, it, and so abortion affects people on what? all levels. I uh, just got to... What's that? 
Oh. Abortion affects people on all levels. I just got this story sent to me uh, from from one of the friends of the show, friends of the show, Ben Johnson, who who talks about uh, a reflection that Mikhail Gorbachev, remember him, uh, the mm-hmm. first uh, elected, I guess, semi-free person, you know, after the you know, saw the the fall of the of the Soviet Union, and he opened up and had. Uh, expressed the fact that his wife many many years ago um had an abortion and in the soviet union back then abortion was promoted as a form of birth control and his wife um was i mean she has passed away for a number of years now but he reflects on her post-abortion experience and how it affected himself too and apparently she uh, was sick with rheumatoid arthritis, if I got that right. Rheumatoid, let me look that up. Um, a rheumatic fever, I'm sorry. And the Russian doctors told her to make a choice. Um, that if she didn't abort her child, she may die. Because her heart might not be able to cope with childbirth. So to save her life, supposedly, um, he actually, Mr. Gorbachev, made the choice to abort their child. But he said the decision haunted them both for the rest of their lives. He said they were told the child was a boy, and they had already chosen a name for the boy. And for 50-plus years later, he still mourned the loss. Um, And they never forgot. And we have to, from this, ask the question, why do we value the lives that are lost if they don't matter? Why do we have this inextricable link even to our unborn children that have died? And I think it's because we know it is a person who dies, not a blob of tissue, not something insignificant, not someone who's an obstacle to the choices that you make, the choices you want to make for your life later on. And if this happened the way it's written, where it is down to the mother's life, and in you know what, in countries that have poor medical care, this becomes a greater choice, a greater issue. Let me pause real quickly and and talk about that. You know, what about the life of a mother? First of all, I go fall back on what C. Everett Coop had said and said that almost never happens. And you know why it almost never happens? Because here in the United States, we strive to have such good medical care that we want to have it both ways. And we have been able to have it both ways. We can save the life of the mother and of the child. We don't have to choose who to die. And that is the highest goal and the greatest goal and the only goal that the medical community should strive for. How do we save lives and not make a choice of who to sacrifice in order to save someone else? That is not the goal of medicine. The goal of medicine is how do we save lives, 
period. So in the Soviet Union, whom we know had such low, much lower medical standards than, in that, than the United States, why? Because the proletariat didn't deserve <laughs> the same kind of care that the rich and famous do. I mean, sounds like what they characterize the United States medical medical system here, except that we all have kind of access we're told that we don't have on on by and large. Mm. But here here we have a situation where the highest goal that I I say the highest goal is for medicine and doctors to save lives. Period. And when that becomes the highest goal, you know what happens to the question of women? What if? What about women who whose life is in danger, you know, and they're pregnant? That question becomes so minute to be in a, a medical, almost in a medical, medically it doesn't exist. That is the success of medicine. So when people ask me, oh, you know, what about, you know, the case of women who, uh, you know, who are whose life, to save the life of the mother? Well, if you're talking about a hypothetical, then you've made a situation where a choice has to be made. I mean, that's these. this is the thought experiment where there is no third rail. But in reality, we strive to make that third rail a reality. So as long as, you know, if my answer stays in the hypothetical, it's going to make somebody angry. <laughs> but in reality, it just this is not the goal of medicine. And I go with the great advances that we have. Why did infant mortality and maternal mortality go down when doctors and nurses started washing their hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, it I've wondered the same thing when we get into these discussions of, um, you know, the life of the mother. Um, it's just an automatic given that, you know, of yeah. course you abort. Of course you abort. I mean, it's like no, there's not even a thought to the question, you know. And, um, yeah, why aren't we trying to uh, use our our talents and our abilities and our, our so-called concern um, to, rather than just put, the, you know, putting to the easy, the so-called easy answer of abortion. Why not, um, you know, do something great and come up with some some tools that can help in those situations, so that it doesn't have to to boil down to that. I think I think that there's just we because of the tendency to just um, devalue life in our society that abort it, it's just a given that you just abort and you know that's that's done and that's not what humane societies do is it like you're saying we try to come up with solutions that are life affirming and that um and that's what the goal of medicine is like you know as, as you're sharing here but again I, I it's just um it's just the whole perspective is is upside down um and we're not we're not even trying to find real solutions to these to these difficult you know issues right and far from being gotcha, I mean, I look at I look at this as oh, it's the pro pro abortion gotcha question for 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 pro lifers. I, I don't, I'm you know I'm not feeling got <laughs> personally. And and there's a huge gulf between 
there this hypothetical and the reality that we live in. Um, this, what 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 doctors have done is improve cleanliness um, and medical care in order to save the lives of both the mother and her unborn child. That's how we have risen above the quote-unquote need for abortion. And, you know, since since we have reduced the need for abortion, the argument saying that women need abortion is getting more and more hollow. So, you know, they can't very well argue for the life of the mother anymore. <clears throat> they can't. Um, they can cite some false statistics saying, you know, abortion is safer than childbirth. That's been debunked. That's been totally debunked. So the need now becomes a psychological and an emotional need and a lifestyle right. need. And we can see the, the vacuousness of arguing it that way. Because you can say that for anybody. Anybody becomes disposable if they're in the way of your lifestyle choices. How is that fair and how is that peaceful? Right. So I wanna let's um let's move on. I've got a great stupidest thing ever. And let's get to that because it's a good time to wrap this up and end on a high note, sort of. I guess. <laughs> hey, this is not first class. Okay, so our stupidest thing ever today is our wonderful, wonderful Vice President Joe Biden. And if you have listened to the media at all in the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, they let him out every once in a while to come out and give him a chance not to embarrass this administration, but he comes out and he does it anyway. (laughs) And they just can't seem to keep a lid on it, and he can't seem to keep a lid on it. And after a a few speeches, first of all, he he offended the Asian community with a speech and referred to the uh, Asian world as the Orient, which, you know, to be fair, you know, my opinion, it's an antiquated term. Uh, why do you use it? I'm not offended that you, you, he used it, but a lot of people are. And given the fact you have better word choices out there, maybe it's a good idea that you update your your vocabulary. Just saying. <laughs> and he goes off and he digs up another word from the annals, the the shameful annals of history, and refers to Jewish bankers as Shylocks. You know, okay. First of all. I'm completely unfamiliar with that term. That's how old this is. I I don't even know. It's buried in history, and I have never even heard it. Call me ignorant about that. But I wouldn't have known what it meant if he said it. And you know what? That's the way it should be. My innocence is robbed now. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know it's a, it's a it's kind of a racial slur, um, I feel a little sullied by that. But, okay. Life, life learned. But he uses it, and and then he goes on to make another gaffe, and this is what he ends up saying. And he, um, 
He talks about, um, I'm sorry, let's, I'm just going to play how, see, there's two. This is So Joe Biden is, of course, he is, himself is not the stupidest thing ever, although many of the things that he says could qualify. So this is a double duty here. He gasps, and this is the way CNN decides to respond to that. And let me give, you, give them credit up front for responding perfectly fine. This is the perfect response. Vice President Joe Biden proving to be an equal opportunity offender in Iowa. Biden was there Wednesday, presumably exploring a run for president. But during a 24-hour span, the vice president offended Jews by using the word Shylock. And his use of the word Orient to describe Asia offended many Asian Americans and others. The vice president also left the door open to U.S. combat troops in Iraq, a contradiction to the president's position. Oh, Joe. In Biden land, we call that the trifecta. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, that was CNN. This is MSNBC. Joe Biden was in Iowa yesterday. He made what some are calling three gaffes. He wound up apologizing for using the term Orient. He also yep. had to apologize for using the term Shylock and then for opening the door to U.S. combat forces in the Middle East. How damaging were those three gaffes? Joe Biden is probably the most um, real, I suppose, politician you have these days. He does say what's on his mind. Unfortunately, what's on his mind often gets him in trouble. Right. And Julie, you and I have spent a lot of time reporting on Vice President Biden. Uh, these gaffes are also a part of who he is as a politician, right? Yeah, it's what? hard to, to manage this part of Joe Biden because so much of what is appealing about him to a lot of voters is the fact what? that he's authentic, the fact that he doesn't what? always seem scripted, that he's willing to kind of say things that maybe he shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, that is the stupidest thing ever. Joe Biden makes these gaffes because he's so authentic. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure she got an extra quarter in her paycheck for make, for saying it that way. <laughs> but a ladies whole, and gentlemen, that oh, you were were going to say something? I just said a whole quarter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, ladies and gentlemen, that is the stupidest thing ever. Please join us on Facebook at True Life Fridays Radio. That's T-R-U, no E, Life Fridays Radio on Facebook. Check us out at truelifefridaysradio.com. And call into the show next week. We want to hear from you. We're planning on getting some excellent guests in the next few weeks um, for more of True Life Fridays Radio. So stop by, come back next week. We're going to have another great broadcast. And have a good night. Good night, Melissa. Good night, Thomas. Good night. Good night, good friends. Night. Were you there? No? All right. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next week.
hands up open wide Put your hands up side by side Age don't matter like race don't matter like place don't matter like what's inside Let the kick drum kick one time Breathe out let your mind unwind Eyes on the ceiling looking for the feeling Wide open let your
I can hear that you're calling me to be the hope, be the 